Welcome to the September 25th episode of the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and I'm the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Today's reading is Song of Songs 6 through 8 and Galatians chapter 4, but we'll only focus on the New Testament in this podcast. I hope you're ready. Let's get started. Okay, so let's look at Galatians 4, and uh, we have 31 verses in this chapter, so let's just dig right in and try to take it verse by verse. Verse 1, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. So right here, this is not a spiritual principle. Uh, He's just stating something that they themselves knew they experienced. He said, as long as the heir is a child, so the heir of the inheritance, the one who's going to be in charge, the one who's going to own and inherit everything, um, as long as he's a little boy, little girl, um, you know, they're no different than a slave in that culture. So they had no rights, no privileges, no, they couldn't access the inheritance. Um, They were being watched over, right? They were being watched over. They did not have the privileges. And so that's just a principle. Now he's going to build off of that principle. Verse 2. Instead, he has guardians that watch over him and trustees that watch over the inheritance until the time set by his father. Right? So he said, you know, when he's a little child, he or she is a little child, uh, they've got adults who are watching over him and watching over the inheritance until... He or she grows up to that age where the father says, okay, now it is time uh, for you to have access, for you to have authority, for you to have, for you to be able to tap into the inheritance. Verse three, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. So he said that uh, whenever we were, and I believe what he's talking about is before we were saved, we were pursuing other things. Now for the Galatians, it was either the Jewish law that they were pursuing to try to gain a righteousness or uh, Gentile religions, you know, the pagan religions that they were trying to uh, tap into. Uh, They were children and they were... Um, no better than a slave, no better than a slave, no inheritance, no rights, no privileges, no nothing. Um, They hadn't reached that point where they came into their rights and privileges. And what Paul is saying is that happens when Jesus came and then in our hearts, when it come, when when we get to that point where we give our lives to Jesus and we trust in him. So listen to verse 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So what Paul is saying is, is that whenever we were trying to attain our own righteousness, whenever we were trying to do whatever we thought we could do in order to get in good, on good terms with God, we were like children who were no better than slaves. But in order for us to come into that inheritance and to have the authority that God has um, it willingly gives to us, the authority that we have in Christ, 
that happened whenever God sent his son and then whenever God sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's what Paul is saying. He is saying that we were like children when we were lost, no better than a slave. Now that Jesus has come and we have given ourselves to him, we are adopted as sons. We are recognized as children of God and come into the air, um, the um, ownership. We come into the inheritance. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son, that's the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so the Holy Spirit does a lot of things, but one of the things that we see the Holy Spirit doing right here is calling us into a relationship with the Father. Abba is, it was said to have been one of the very first words that a Jewish baby would say. Uh, and it was the name for father, um, you know, and you can see how easily that would come off of the tongue of a little baby, Abba. And uh, so that was the word for father and uh, it spoke of relationship. And so the Holy Spirit within us calls us into a relationship with God, our father in heaven. Verse seven. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. And so Paul is saying, Galatians, why are you tampering with the gospel? Why are you going after the law? You're trying to become a child again and get rid of your inheritance. You have got so much as you have trusted in Jesus. You have got so much. You've got a relationship with the Father. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You are recognized as a child of God. You have the inheritance, not just now, but ultimately when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to make us co-heirs with him. We have authority in Christ. Paul is saying, why would you go back to trying to obtain God's favor, trying to obtain God's favor by your own efforts? He said, grow up. <laughs> and, and the growing up is living in grace and understanding the true nature of the gospel and realizing that apart from Christ, I am nothing. But because of Christ, man, God smiles every time he looks at me because of Jesus. It's him that makes me righteous. It's him that uh, causes me to have no condemnation. And so Paul is saying to the Galatians, grow up. Verse 8, but in the past, since you didn't know God, uh, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. And so he said, you were just enslaved. You were doing everything you could to try to fill that vacuum in your heart and come into a right relationship with God, but it was just enslaving you. It couldn't fix your problem. Verse 9, but now, since you know God, or rather, have become known by God. Oh, so he's kind of, he says something and then he backtracks a little bit. He said, since you know God, he said, since you know the God of creation, or rather, since the God of creation came to know you. So what's Paul doing? He's saying this relationship with the Father was not your idea. It was his. He's the one who reached out to know you and so you never have to worry about, oh, is God going to go tired of me? You know, is God going to get to a point where he no longer wants me anymore? No, it wasn't your idea. It was his idea. And God, who knows all things, he knows, he knows you better than you know yourself. 
He knows the things that you haven't yet done, that you don't know that you're going to do, that you're going to be so disappointed in yourself. And he knows that. And yet he reached out to you. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? This is what I was talking about a while ago. Paul is saying, why would you want to go back to being a kid? Grow up in your faith. Verse 10, you are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Basically, he's saying, what are you doing? The observance of the special days, months, seasons, and years, uh, I think that that could be an allusion to the uh, Jewish law and, you know, that there were special days and things like that. And is it appropriate? Is it okay to work, to to enjoy some of those special days, um, to celebrate some of the, the days that uh, were mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, to, you know, the Passover, for instance. Is it okay to celebrate the Passover? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But once again, it has to go, it goes to your motive and my motive. Why are you observing the Passover? If we observe the Passover because we just want to participate in something that has gone on for thousands and thousands of years, and ultimately it was the uh, feast or the meal that they were to observe that made them aware that as they slaughtered a lamb and that blood was painted on the doorposts and on the lintel, the top part of the door, that whenever they were in that house, that lamb's blood would be seen by the death angel, God's wrath, God's justice, and God's death angel would pass over. That's why it's called the Passover. The death angel would pass over and not harm anyone in that house. And ultimately, that was a beautiful picture of the gospel. And Jesus is that lamb, and that blood was his blood that was shed. And we in the house, that's us in Christ. And because we are in Christ, God's death angel passes over, and we will never experience God's wrath. So it would be fun and rewarding, I think, to enjoy the Passover, to just enjoy it. But if you're doing it to try to gain God's favor, oop, the motive changes, and that makes it wrong. So this is what Paul's talking about. It's not necessarily the observance. It's why you're observing. You're doing these things to try to get God's favor, and that's a very bad motive. Verse, um, verse 12, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Okay, so there is another portion of verse 12, you have not wronged me. Actually, I think that goes with verse 13 and, and 14. So let's just look at this. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. So what's he talking about? Become as I am. That means, Paul said, become like me. I'm not obeying the law to gain God's favor. Now, am I being obedient to the Lord? Well, yes, I'm striving to do so. But am I doing it in order to try to get God to like me? Am I doing it in order to try to have a righteousness that'll be pleasing to God? No. That's law-based. We don't, we don't strive to obey the law in order to please God. We trust in Jesus who is pleasing to God, and then we obey the law 
the extent that is relevant to us out of a love relationship for him because Jesus said if you love me do what I say you know so we're not we're not trying to get his favor we're we're obeying because we love him and so Paul said become like me I'm not relying upon the law to try to make me right in God's eyes he said for I also became as you are so I think what he's doing is he's writing, I think, to, to the Gentile believers, primarily Gentile believers. And what it seems is that Judaizers had come in. And these Gentile believers, they weren't obeying the law. They weren't obeying the Jewish law at all. They were Gentiles, for goodness sake. And they got saved. They trusted in Jesus. And then the Judaizers came in and started telling them, oh, no, you have to be circumcised, and you have to do this, and you have to do that in order for you to be saved. And so the Gentiles were becoming Jews, you know? They felt that they were being led to believe that trusting in Jesus wasn't enough, that they had to gain a righteousness on their own. He said, become like me, you know, somebody that's not relying upon the law, for I have become as you are. I did become as you are. You weren't obeying the Jewish laws when I met you because you were Gentiles. But you've got people that are coming in trying to distort the gospel and got you thinking you have to obey the Old Testament Jewish laws in order to be saved. Become like me. Verse 13. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. And so Paul said, you remember whenever I was with y'all that, uh, that I preached the gospel, the pure gospel. He said, um, that uh, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. Now, we don't understand what this weakness of the flesh was. Um, it uh, apparently was something that was obvious to them. We don't know if he was sick. We don't know if this is maybe after he was stoned at Lystra, maybe you know some of the other churches that he preached at because he did go back through them, and they saw his face just blown up like a balloon maybe, you know, from being hit and um, scars, maybe not just scars, but just the, the gaping wounds. Um, maybe that's what he's talking about. You know, you've not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of the weakness of the flesh. You saw that I valued the gospel so much that no matter what I went through, I wanted to keep preaching it. Verse 14, you did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. So this leads me to believe that it was not just a sickness that was internal. It was something they could see. And so I do wonder if this was, you know the results of his beating or his stoning or something like that. You did not despise or reject me. You valued me at that time, churches in Galatia. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. He said, so I wish we could go back to that point because y'all loved me so much and you respected me so much. And even though my appearance was a trial to you, that you saw that I valued the purity of the gospel and you embraced the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and he's, he's, he's calling to their memory about the relationship they did have. Once again, what we see is the Apostle Paul in Galatians is doing what he was doing in the letters to the church at Corinth. Paul recognized that if he lost his relationship with these churches, then he would lose his influence and they would be taken away into all sorts of heresy. 
You know, there would be false teachers that would come in and take them off. And so Paul was not just telling them what the truth is, but he was fighting for the relationship so that he could continue to influence them uh, positively and biblically. Verse 15. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Once again, he's just going into how deeply they cared for him previously. So then, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? I mean, seriously, this sounds like deja vu. It sounds like Corinth. You know, Paul's saying, we used to be friends, and you know, we used to love each other, and what happened? Well, here he's saying, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? You know, I told you the truth, I proclaimed the gospel, and then you've got those that are coming in and distorting the gospel, and I'm proclaiming the truth, and are you now you not going to like me? Are now we going to be enemies? Verse 17, they court you eagerly, but not for good. I think he's referring to the Judaizers. They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. Paul said these Judaizers, these legalists, these ones that are adding the law to the gospel, they want to cut you to cut off ties with me, and they want you to be pulled away to them so that only they can influence you. Paul, it seems like, was constantly playing tug-of-war with some of the churches that he was in. Verse 18, But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner, and not just when I'm with you. And so, you know, I mean, the, the translation here and various translations is a little bit different, and so the question is, is, is what was he saying? Was he talking about them pursuing the gospel? Is it talking about them pursuing him, him pursuing them? I'm not sure. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not sure. You could look up verse 18, do your own self-study, and then maybe go to the Facebook page and write your reflections on what you what you believe verse 18 is referring to. Verse 19, my children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. And so here he paints the picture of a mom who's pregnant. And she's having labor pains, and she's getting to the point where she will give birth. And those labor pains, as she gets closer, are really, really painful. And he said, I am suffering labor pains for you. It hurts me whenever I see what you're going through and what those Judaizers are putting you through and how you are being tempted to go away to a gospel that is not a, that is not a true gospel. He said, I am, I'm, pain, I'm pained for you until I see Christ formed in you, until I see you growing in your walk with the Lord. Verse 20, I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. He said, I wish that I could be with you. Verse 21, tell me, you who want to be under the law, don't, don't you hear the law? Yeah, once again, so he goes back to, why would you want to obey the law? Verse 21. Now what he's going to do in verse 21 uh, through quite a few of the next verses is he's going to use an allegory. Uh, he's going to use the uh, literary device of an allegory. And he's going to tell us about Abraham and about Hagar, his slave wife, and Sarah, his, his wife. And he's going to use them to show how it is that the law 
and the gospel of grace are compared. Okay? So let's look at this. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. Now, if you go back to the book of Genesis, you realize that Abraham had many other sons. He even had another wife named Keturah after Sarah died. Um, but what Paul is doing is just talking about those two sons, those two sons, the first one by his wife, Sarah, and the other son by his slave, Hagar, which... Sarah said, had previously said, well, you know, I can't have a son. She hadn't had, uh, hadn't had Isaac yet. And she said, I, I can't have a son. And so maybe the Lord's promise is going to be fulfilled when we kind of help him along. And so go into Hagar, my slave, and have a son with her, and that will be the heir. And so this is the second son. And so what Paul's going to do is bring these two sons into uh, you know a, a visual picture, and he's going to talk about how it is that they represent the gospel of grace and the law. Verse 22 again. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, one by a slave, that's Hagar, and the other by a free woman, that's Sarah. Verse 23. But the one by the slave, that's Ishmael, was born as a result of the flesh. So Ishmael was born in an ordinary way. Hagar was probably much younger. There was no surprise when she was able to get pregnant. Um, this was just the way of life. The one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the one by the free woman, by Sarah, was born through promise. And so Sarah had Isaac when she was 90 years old. So this promise was fulfilled in a miracle, a 90-year-old woman being able to have a baby. And so you have the slave, the son of the slave woman was born after the flesh in an ordinary way, nothing special. And then you have the child of promise, Isaac, who was born as a result of a miracle. Verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively. So he's telling us this isn't the real meaning of the, the story in Genesis, but he said, I'm, I'm just using this as an illustration. He said, these things are being taken figuratively for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. So he said that, uh, you know, let's just say that these two women represent the two covenants. The two covenants. The one is from Mount Sinai, from the law, where the law was given. And she bears children into slavery. So since Hagar was a slave, Ishmael was a slave. And said, this is what the law does. It is a slave giving birth to another slave. That's what the law does. It does not free you. It makes you a slave. Verse 25. Now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So he's just saying that uh, Hagar was 
Abraham trying to work things out for himself. He wasn't relying upon God. He was relying upon his own effort, right? That's what the law is. It's us trying to gain a righteousness by ourselves in our own effort. And he said all he did is just create chaos, Because all he did is he had relations with a slave, and technically, whenever she had a son, he was a slave too. That's what the law does to you. Now, one other thing, just a little aside, I think a little neat hint, a little clue that we see in verse 25, is that it tells us where Mount Sinai is. Now this is this is very we're taking a very different just just for a moment, taking a rabbit trail. But it says, verse 25, now Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia. The Sinai Peninsula is where everybody says, or so many people say, Mount Sinai is there. That's where Mount Sinai, right? The landmass that looks like a V. No, I don't think at all that that's where Mount Sinai is. And in fact, Paul in verse 25 says, Mount Sinai is in Arabia. Arabia has always been that area on the other side over to the east that we now call Saudi Arabia. And if you were to look at your Bible map and uh, look to where Midian is, you would see that Midian, where Moses went, right? Whenever he was fleeing from Pharaoh, he went to Midian. In fact, he married a priest's daughter there. He went to Midian, and Midian is in northwest, what we now call Saudi Arabia. And that's where, I believe, he saw the burning bush. That's where Mount Sinai is. I think it's in Arabia. It's in Saudi Arabia. In fact, that's what Paul says in verse 25. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia. Okay, so we had a little venture out that way. Let's get back to what Paul was saying. Verse 27, for it is written, rejoice, and and so now he's quoting Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth, burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many. So who's this talking about? Well, Well, let's finish it. More numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. So who is Paul saying this is referring to? It's referring to Sarah. Rejoice, childless woman. Sarah was childless for 90 years, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many. And so what he's talking about is that Abraham tried to work the problem out with Hagar, had relations with a slave. She gave birth to a slave. Nothing supernatural about that. Um, it was just human effort, and it did nothing. It did nothing of, of, of a spectacular nature. And yet, whenever they trusted in God, right? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. When he trusted in God in regard to the fact that the Lord would provide Sarah with a child, then we realize that a miracle happened that over incredible joy happened. We're not told that joy happened whenever Ishmael was born, but boy, there was just incredible joy whenever Isaac was born. 
And so Paul is saying, just compare the two. Compare grace, the gospel of grace, and compare to law, the law. They're, they're nothing at all. They don't have anything in common. And he said, why would you go after the law that is so unspectacular, that is so rooted in your own self-effort that you can never do anything but become a slave to the law. Why would you go that direction when you can, by grace, trust in Jesus and he can do the miracle in your heart of converting you and saving you and resurrecting you from the dead and giving you new life? And then you've got a relationship with him, and you're an heir, and so many other things. Paul is saying, why would you go after the law? Trust in Jesus. Give him the glory. Verse 28, now you too, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. So Paul is acknowledging that even though they were distorting the gospel, the ones he was writing to, many of them were saved. They were legitimately saved. They needed to be pulled back from their misunderstanding about the law. The danger, though, was if they were continuing to proclaim this grace and law, which never is grace when you do that. It's always just law. Whenever they proclaimed that false gospel, the next batch of people that trusted in that wouldn't be saved because they were resting in themselves. That's the danger. These people, many of them were saved, but they were developing a false gospel. So when they shared that, the, the next generation would not be saved. So Paul is writing to them and saying, realize all of the wonderful things that are true of you because you are trusting in Jesus. Don't go after the law for your affirmation in, in God's sight. You can never measure up. It will only make you a slave. You will feel as if you can never do enough. Never please. Verse 29. But just as then the child born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the spirit, so also now. Oh, so Paul took it. So he took this illustration even a bit further. And he said, okay, so not only do they represent the covenants, the two covenants, and not only do we see how beautiful the covenant of grace and trust is, as opposed to the covenant of law and the flesh. But he said, by the way, do you remember in the book of Genesis how those boys grew up and the slave son was really tormenting the, uh, the child of promise? Do you remember that? He said, that still happens. The Judaizers, the legalists, are still going after those that are the children of promise. They're still tormenting you, and they're doing it to you, church at Galatia. Ah. I mean, it's one of those kind of things where they were getting the allegory, and then he comes around with the one-two punch on this. Verse 30. But what does the scripture say? And I'm telling you this, this is a, I love those words. What does the Bible say? That ought to be on the lips of every single Christian. Whenever we hear something, whenever we see something, whenever we're thinking about options, whenever someone is asking us to do something, our mind ought to be, but what does the Bible say? We ought to desire to have the Bible as our frame of reference. It's not the law so that we're trying to do this in order to be pleasing to God. No, it is God's love letter to us so that we can know how to think and how to live. And we do it because we love him, not because we're trying to please him, right? 
or gain his favor, really. But what does the scripture say? Verse 30, drive out the slave, Verse he's quoting from Genesis 21, verse 10, drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Oh, so he's quoting Genesis 21, 10 and saying, okay, what, so what's the scripture say? Get rid of the legalizers. Get rid of the legalists. Get rid of the Judaizers. Get rid of those that would add the law and bring you back into slavery. Get rid of them. Don't let them be in your church. Don't let them teach that stuff in your churches. Verse 31, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of a free woman. We're not slaves. Oh, now he's appealing a little bit to the flesh, a little bit, because the flesh... Our sin nature doesn't want to be a slave. We don't want to be indebted to anybody else. And so I think maybe he's tapping into that just a little bit and said, we are not children of slaves. We're children of a free woman. We're not children of those who were slaves and those who represent the law and then passing on to us the futile attempt to try to gain God's favor by living according to the law. We are not children of slaves. We're free, the gospel of freedom. And Paul's going to talk about that a little bit more in the next chapter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and thank you for um, this, this chapter, Galatians chapter 4. And Lord, I pray that these, this truth is sinking into our heart. It's easy for us to look at other people and condemn other people. But Lord, ultimately, your word is given and your Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can see how it is that your word speaks into our experience. Lord, I pray that if there's anything within our mind and our heart that would cause us to think that we have to conform, we have to do things in order to get you to smile at us, to get your favor, to, to get a righteousness that would make you pleasing with us. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to realize that that is a lie from the pit of hell, that ultimately you are calling us to find our righteousness in Jesus. And that happens as we stop trusting in ourselves, and we transfer our trust and trust in him to make us right. We're trusting in him. We're resting in him. And then we go back to the Bible, not to do these things in order to try to get you to be happy with us, but we do these things because we love you and we want to live the way that you have told us to live. And so we're not motivated by fear. We're not motivated by a spirit of, of slavery. We're free. We're free to get into your word and love you and study your word and, and desire to obey it. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your word rightly, not to see it as a law, but to see it as an instruction manual, a love letter given to us to show us how it is that we are to live and we go to it because we love you. Father, I pray that you would help us in our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, I hope today's episode has helped you to understand and enjoy God's Word so that you can apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Check us out at fbcpolkcity.com. See you next time. Thank you.